yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. A former McNeese Cowboy gets called up to the show, well, and has himself quite the show. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your big, bald, and beautiful host, Raymond Pars III, better known as RP3. Of course, joining me here inside the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette is the producer extraordinaire, Mr. Dawson Iserlow. we got a tremendous show lined up for you today. We're going to talk LSU, start previewing the Baton Rouge Regional with our guy Ron Higgins from Tiger Details. We're going to preview the Coral Gables Regional with the longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, Jay Walker. We're going to give you insight into Louisiana Legends Night, one of the biggest nights at Evangeline Downs. And we'll get that perspective from a longtime trainer and fan of the show, Salty Steve. Steve Flint will be uh, dropping by as well. We'll also look at some of the other NCAA baseball regionals, give you some matchups there as well. We'll talk about the Houston Astros getting back on track with a dub, as they did last night. But got to start off with talking about what a night for Grant Anderson. West Orange Stark High School star, Goes to McNeese, plays three seasons for the Cowboys, and was an absolute dominant relief pitcher for McNeese. Played for three seasons, had a 12-8 and record, recorded 143 strikeouts. His best season probably was his sophomore season there in Lake Chuck. Gets drafted in the 21st round of the 2018 draft and makes his way up through the system and makes his debut last night for the Texas Rangers. And he was absolutely dazzling. The rookie reliever called up from AAA the day before was an absolute strikeout machine in the Rangers' 10-6 victory over the Detroit Tigers there in Comerica Park in Detroit. The Rangers, who of course lead the American League West, got themselves their third consecutive series win on the current road trip, fourth straight overall. They've been playing good baseball of late. And moved to 16 games over 500 for the first time since 2016. And Anderson was a big reason for that. After most recently being a star for the Round Rock Express, the Rangers looking for help in their bullpen, which has been a bit of a mess. The right-hander came in and struck out the first four batters he faced in relief. Came in for Martin Perez, the starter, 
and then would go on Anderson Wood, the former Meanies Cowboy. Not only did he strike out the first four batters he faced, he would go on to strike out seven overall in two and two-third innings of work and picked up the win. So, Dawson, not only does he get finally called up to the show, which is a huge moment for any player, and he gets into the game, which if you're a relief pitcher, you're like, hey, I finally get my opportunity. He strikes out the first four batters he faces, seven overall, pitches nearly three innings, and gets the win. Yeah, he's got to be going back to the clubhouse going, this Major League stuff's not as hard as they said it was. <laughs> um, no, and I also wanted to throw out, because we missed it over the weekend, but Hogan Harris, who got called up for the Cajuns, had uh, a very rough first outing, but he came back and went five and a third against the Astros, actually, and was really good. So a couple of prep stars uh, you know, from Louisiana colleges have, uh, and you know, specifically colleges we cover, have, have had some great outings. Yeah, he's got a nice, uh, Grant Anderson has a, that nice weird delivery that comes from that kind of three-quarter mm-hmm. motion across his body. It's tough to pick up. I'm not looking forward to the Astros facing him, um, which which could potentially be happening coming up here. Um, by the way, the Astros feels like they haven't played the Rangers much at all to start the year, so I guess we got a couple of um, backloaded matchups there in the schedule. Then again, the division scheduling is, I'm still getting used to the fact that it's not what it was. But um, all that being said, yeah, that's that's impressive. And, um, you know, certainly some of it has to do with maybe some guys haven't seen him before, but uh, his stuff looks legit. And, um, you know, I don't know how long this was a planned call up or not, but when you throw like that, I think Rangers might have to find space for him down in the bullpen. Look, their bullpen has been a bit of a mess. Tejas has been able to overcome that. And look, it, it, when you get these opportunities, it's usually because someone's got banged up, right? That's how this works. And they probably didn't think, well, hey, this guy's going to come in and, and strike out seven batters in the first four he faced. But he had moved his way up. He had been pitching very well for the Ron, Round Rock Express, the Rangers affiliate. So they're like, hey, you know what? We need a guy. We need an arm. And could you ask for a better Major League Baseball debut for a relief pitcher to come in there and strike out the first four batters you faced? Seven strikeouts, nearly three innings of work, and you get the win? Like, like that's storybook stuff. Now, is he going to be able to replicate that outing after outing? Probably not. You hope so. If he is, then you can get his, get his bus ready for Canton. <laughs> I can't. Well, I said Canton. Oh, Cooperstown. You said, wow. You said, wow. I you said, said Canton. It's six oh nine. My man pulled a Raymond this morning. It'd be really impressive if he made it to Canton <laughs> and Cooperstown. Now, former McNeese Cowboy gets called up for the Texas Rangers. And you mentioned Hogan, who got roughed up the first time he got called up by the A's earlier this season, had a better outing over the weekend. I'm glad you went there. What about Spencer Air Giddy? Because my man's tearing it up in the minors. Forget Force Whitley. We got Spencer Air Giddy on the way. He's pit, he's pitching really, really, really well. I know it's he's not he's not quite at the level that he needs to be to be called up. But and where in the world would they put him? Because he's in the Astros system. Well. Wait for an injury is where you put him, but wait for an injury. But man, Spencer's kind of tearing it up, man. No, Former yeah, raging it, Cajun star. 
And I actually still remember the first time. And if if people kind of don't remember, Spencer was only with the Cajuns for one year, but and he, and he didn't even start the year as a guy who was expected to be in the rotation or anything That's like correct. that. But I still remember an outing, his his first kind of breakthrough outing against Louisiana Tech um, in a midweek game, and he was just dominant, and he kind of had that attitude, that swagger towards you know, walking off the mound. He kind of had that crazy look in his eyes, and I was like, I like this guy a lot. And kind of worked his way into the rotation. Got a great Cajuns. head of hair. Don't oh, yeah, that. the lettuce. Yeah, uh, got the lettuce. He, and he worked his way into the rotation, kind of was the Cajuns' most reliable starting pitcher that year, had some real moments of just excellence. And... Um, you know, I'll be honest, another guy, and it's just funny how some of these things work out, I, I didn't necessarily know that it was going to translate to the next level, um, kind of the same way I've talked about with J.P. France, but maybe it's just the Astros organization finding something with these guys. They've certainly been pretty good at that. But, yeah, no, he, he's kind of, you know, I've pretty much running away with, like, minor league pitcher of the year award in, in with the Astros in, in the month of May, uh, I would imagine. Not sure if, when, when that's going to be announced, but... I've seen some rumblings on Twitter. I mean, he's just his numbers in the month of May were just startling, and he's he's been very dominant for the oh, Corpus Christi Hooks. Yeah, That's the Double A affiliate for for the right. Strohs. If nothing else, you imagine that the call to Triple A will be coming pretty soon um, with the way. He's well, throwing. especially with the fact that both JP and Hunter are on the roster, on the big league roster. So that's how this typically works. And look, five and two. ERA around four, 41 innings pitched, 50 Ks. His whip is 1.18. So that's pretty good. That's pretty good for double A ball. And, you know, he's been in the minors only for a couple of seasons now. He's now with Corpus Christi. And he could be one of those guys that could come up in a big way. For the Strohs, it, it seems like they have a plethora of those guys. Well, and and by the way, that ERA you mentioned in those full numbers, now that is the full picture, but he had an awful month of April. Correct. Um, but in the month of May, he's given up, he's got a 4-0 record with a 0.67 ERA. So his ERA was over 11 for April since, you know, since May began. He's given up, uh, oh, by the way, two earned runs in the month of May. So that's pretty good. Who has a better chance of getting called up, Arigetti or Drew Gilbert? Because I feel like both of them can well, find a way yeah, I to get think called up this year. I think the only reason I would say Aragetti is because there's just going to be more variability with the pitching staff. And by the way, we didn't discuss it yet, but Lance McCullers had a favorite word, setback, uh, over the weekend. Oh, We have not had a chance to talk about that. The Astros and their health, man. It's yeah. as if they borrowed the Pelican Saints medical staff. And then, well, and the Pelicans are maybe shaking that staff up, which is something we'll get to at some point this week, I'm sure, or maybe we'll, next. But We'll get to it. We'll get to it today. Yeah. Um, we'll but get to it today, but man. It's, it's yeah. No, and so I would say Arigetti just because I think pitching variability and the number of slots. I think is in the outfield, if guys stay healthy, which, you know, again, who knows, but you have some guys right now where I, I don't know if Gilbert's able to force his way in. I think Dubon, again, is a guy who's going to play some more outfield now that I agree. Altuve's at second base. Um, now, I haven't been as high on Dubon as some uh, have with you know some of the deeper numbers that you dive into. But overall, I, I think Arigetti's got the better chance. But I, I, don't, know if, I don't know if they're going to force it either with him um, unless they, need, they really need a guy. So that's something to keep in mind. And Forrest Whitley is still there waiting. But he's also always hurt, so uh, that, I don't that, know. That's the other part of that, isn't it? That's the other part of that. So, great night for the former Munice Cowboy, Grant Anderson. 
dazzles in his Major League Baseball debut, strikes out the first four Detroit Tiger hitters he faces, ends up striking out seven overall, works more than two innings, and picks up the win. And uh, look, I know Astro fan doesn't want to hear this. The Rangers are good enough to be a problem. Do I believe Houston will catch Texas? Yes. Do I believe Houston will still win the division? Yes. But the Rangers have a lot of talent. They do. And they seemingly present the biggest threat as we wrap up the month of May in the AL West to the Houston Astros. The Mariners look lost. The Angels tread water. Rangers look... Rangers look like a pretty good ball club. Like, I know we want Texas to be terrible. I don't think they're going to be. Yeah, and they might get Jacob DeGrom back in the next couple of weeks, which would be bad for the Astros, but good for my fantasy team. So it's a give and take of everything <laughs> there, there. But There it is. Good for the man's fan. It's bad for my team that I root for, but good for my fantasy team. Yeah, now, look, I mean... Well, that's a, that's such a struggle for you. No, it's a... T- well, but, you know, there's, there's enough guys. That it, it, it's... I would trade uh, a couple of fantasy <laughs> losses, but anyway, regardless, um, they're good. They're legit. I think they're more legit than I uh, than I imagined they were. I, I I didn't think they'd be terrible, but uh, I did. You know, I did think the Angels would be more of a factor. Now, the interesting thing is the Angels in Seattle both haven't been playing bad either. And now Not I don't lately. know. I don't know how much those teams factor in come July, August, but. It's possible, you know, it, it's possible. So it could be a, uh, you know, it's not the AL East. You'd, and the funny thing is all four teams get the punching bag that is the A's, right? That's the difference between the AL East and the AL West. The East, you got five legit teams instead of four. So that kind of well, makes it, you just don't get any breaks in the AL East. And, and, and once again, to counter someone's argument on this station, well, you never want to face a team that's been on a long losing streak. Well, the Athletics beat my Braves for a second straight day yesterday. Yeah, and he I think his actual words were, <laughs> but that means you're easily going to win tonight. That's what he said. That means you'll easily I'm like no, this is baseball. This is like Did you see by the way the Ace looked like when they won that game, they did not look like they knew how to celebrate correctly. They didn't look like they looked like they looked around and went, "Wait, did we win the game? Who, who what happens now? I know we scored in the bottom of the night." Did ninth. you see the fan that ran onto the field and yes, no one noticed? Well, so, yeah, someone noticed. It just seemed they didn't care all they that much. They didn't care. The fans just running around the field. And the A's are like, eh, whatever. Yeah, my Braves. I Just another inexplicable. I love my Bravos. And Acuna looks like he is just the best he's ever been. And I, we, we're nicked up a little bit. But losing two games to the Oakland Athletics, this is why you play. Like everyone was talking about how, and the A's may still set the record for most losses in a season, and they may go down as the worst pitching staff of all time, and they may go down as the worst team of all time. That still can all happen, but it's a very long season, and sometimes baseball is baseball. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, We'll stick with the baseball. How about those Houston Astros? After dropping a game to the Twins on Memorial Day, they got back on track last night. We'll recap it for you next right here on The Game.
This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to the game's YouTube channel, At The Game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Houston Astros got back on track with a 5-1 victory over the Minnesota Twins yesterday. And they got some help at the plate. Bregman gets a home run there in the second inning off of Ryan. McCormick gets one as well. So they get a couple of home runs. Jeremy Pena gets himself a double. Abreu drove in a run without recording a hit. And they did just enough to beat the Twins at the plate. Obviously, you'd like them to have more than five hits. But they get the job done. They also drew five walks. They also struck out ten times. So, But it was enough to get the dub over those Minnesota Twinkies. Belak gets the win. He got the start five and two-thirds. Pitched well. Scattered three hits, one run earned, walked three, struck out six. Threw 91 pitches. Got his ERA down to 3.19 now. Nice performance by him. And they handed it off to the bullpen. And guess what? They did their job. The three guys came in, each pitched an inning, at least an inning, and only gave up three hits, no runs. So a nice bounce-back performance against an okay team. The Twins are kind of, you know, hovering around 500. But 5-1 victory. Get some pop in that bat from guys that need so. Altuve cooled off. He was 0-3. for Did draw a walk yesterday. Jeremy Pena. And I want to focus on Pena here real quick. We've debated back and forth if Jeremy Pena is a guy that needs to bat in the top of the order, towards the top of the order, or the bottom. Because he kind of feels like he may just be a 250 hitter. But I think Dusty is going to try everything he can to make this guy be their number two guy. Now, you protect him because Altuve is your leadoff hitter. And then right behind him yesterday, for example, was Alvarez and then Bregman and Tucker. So he's going to have opportunities to get going. Do we think, Dawson, that this is just Dusty trying to get his young shortstop going? Or do you think they believe he can be that number two guy for them long term in the lineup? Yeah, the good news is that it's when he does hit for lower average, it's still a productive average. Again, that's like the difference, and I've been trying to, you know, talk to, you know, explain this about Dubon. It's it's not that he's hitting 305. It's that it's it's about as empty a 305 as you can hit, and that's fine. Like, different guys are going to produce in different ways, but Pena drives and runs for you. So, yeah, I don't have any issue with him hitting in the number two spot. I Yeah, I, I see. I don't know. I, I don't know why I'm I'm less confident about his long-term outlook as a as an overall consistent hitter. Um, but, I mean, we kind of discussed that. I see him as a 250 hitter. But if he hits 
28, 30 homers and drives in 90 runs, I think that's fine because he also plays a great shortstop defensively yeah. at a premium defensive position. So um, that's okay. And then and also he's already proven to me that he's a guy that's able to turn it up in the big moments. And I think in the postseason, um, sometimes to an extent, you can kind of uh, eliminate some of your regular season history when you're in the postseason, right? Some guys just play better at that time of the year. And I think Pena, now it's a small sample size, one postseason run, but to do it the way he did it at his age, I think that gives you confidence that he'll do it, um, you know, moving forward. So I don't think it matters a ton. I'm not a huge batting order guy. Um, I don't think it matters as much as I, you know, once thought it was. I've always liked speedy on-base guys in the leadoff spot, and the Astros haven't always thought like that. They hit George Springer there for a long time, and it was always mm -hmm. a, a love-hate thing for me. I loved having George in that spot, but also I thought, man, you're kind of wasting some of the power production in the leadoff spot. I don't know. I go back and forth on things like that. Um, but, you know, I'm also not a guy who thinks that you have to set your lineup in stone and then roll with it throughout the summer. Um, some teams like to do that, you know, in college baseball. Look, Matt Deggs has found a lineup that he likes, and we've seen the same nine guys play in the field for the last, like, three weeks, you know. Um, but overall, I, I don't think it's a huge deal either way. I just hope that he continues to uh, – he's actually swung it better since a slow start. I think he's – I think I've seen uh, things I want to see. Now, Pena, I wanted to bring up, was involved in a call last night um, – by home plate umpire Jerry Lane, in which Pena questioned a ball off the outside corner, which it was outside. Um, that, that was shown on, on the pitch track monitor on the, on the screen there on the broadcast. And he must have said something, and then home plate umpire Jerry Lane kind of like got in his face, like approached Pena in the batter's box, um, which was, I thought, strange. And there was some good commentary on the TV broadcast with uh, Blummer and those guys talking about kind of you know, and, and, and Blummer actually said that he's he knows that umpire well and has great respect for him, but he thought he was out of line in that moment. And then I think it was Alex Sidentrone from the dugout gets called, gets tossed for then kind of arguing back and forth. Um, so that was a weird little moment in that game where, um, you know, and I don't think Payne necessarily did anything wrong other than maybe questioning a call, but that was something that was um, a little bit interesting to see kind of the dynamic there between home plate umpire and batter and then bench coach all, as well. Usually when those things happen, something else has been said that we're not aware of. That's usually how that works. Right. right. So there's usually been some type of altercation or incident that's happened prior. Um, and when that goes down, that's usually what the culprit is. To your point about batting order, I think it depends on the player. Like, there's going to be certain guys, like they're trying to figure out a Brayu, right? You, you got to find a spot for him in the lineup that's going to make him feel comfortable to get him going. Some guys, it doesn't matter. I think you're a little bit harder on Dubon than maybe you should be um, because he has come up with, with yeah, no, timely he's, hits. He's you, you make good. it out like it, it, it's an empty stat sheet. I, he, he's come up with, with some big hits and was forced to be in the lineup when no one thought he was worthy no, of being yeah. there. So, and let me clarify quickly there. That was more of the comparison when people said that they were concerned when Altuve came back that Dubon should still play. And no, I was like, really. look, okay. he, they're not comparable offensive players. Even when Dubon's at his best, he's not. No, no, Altuve. he's not. He's not on that level. Okay. With Pena, I think he's a young player, so you want to try to give him as many opportunities to, to see him reach his potential, right? He's not a journeyman. You know, he hasn't been in the big leagues for five or six years. If he had been and you say, OK, he's a 250 hitter, then you just put him wherever you want to. I think they still believe that he has the potential to be better than a 250 hitter. 
So they're going to give him every opportunity to do so and get on the base pass if he can. And look, he's good about that because, what, yesterday he drew two walks. So even when he doesn't create, uh, even when he doesn't record hits, he's still finding a way to put himself on the base pass to give the guys behind him like Alvarez and Bregman opportunities to drive them in. So that's what you want. You look at the lineup, though. It's just so ridiculous. <laughs> like, Altuve, Pena, Alvarez, Bregman, Tucker, Abreu, Jolks, McCormick, Salazar. Like, really? That's... Really? That's just ridiculous. And if those guys really turn it around... But, you know, Abreu's batting 214. Oh. He's batting 214. He's slugging 264. That's his slugging percentage. Is 264. Oh, man, you got to figure that out. You got to figure that out in, in, in a hurry, too. And, and the problem with Abreu is it's not as if you can just bench him. You spend all that money. So you got to figure it out. You got to have him figure it out. Yeah, I think a little differently on that. Um, I know that's how major league clubs think. Um and, and I'm okay with playing him now for the foreseeable future. But I do think if it comes down to, like, you're getting towards playoff time, and if Abreu, and now I'm hoping this isn't the case, but let's say Abreu's stat line is pretty comparable to what it is now when you get to playoff time, Ugh. I don't have any problem leaving him off the roster in the postseason. I don't, I don't really, I think that investment, and I've, we talked about this with Saints a lot, I think it's a sunk cost at that point. Like, I'm okay with now giving him, because of the, you know, the, the track record, and the contract giving him way more time to figure it out than maybe you would give, you know, a, a random guy. So I'm okay with him being in the lineup until August, you know, and through August. But if he's like still being this guy at that point, uh, I don't have any problem if it's, you know, JJ Matajevich from the from the minor league system or someone else. I think at that point you would have to consider, and I and I think they will. I think they will. If, and I and I also I hope this doesn't matter because I hope he turns it around soon. But and and the thing about it that's that's dramatic. Last year was not a great season for him with the White Sox. But he still batted 304 and he slugged 446. His OPS was 824. And he struck out 110 times. He's always been a big strikeout guy, right? This season, he already had last season he struck out a total of 110 times in 157 games, Dawson. He has 50 strikeouts already. No, and, and remember the COVID season. I mean, he he had an outst- he had an MVP type campaign, right? So that's that's where you're holding on to, I guess, which wasn't that long ago. But um, no, it's just been. It, I mean, he, you look he doesn't at, look like himself. He doesn't. He does not look like himself. And you look at his numbers. Like last year, once again, he only had the 15 home runs and 75 RBIs. So the production dipped, right, for his last year with the White Sox. But you're looking at a guy that routinely hits 30. 33 home runs in a season and drives in 100 runs. That's what you're looking at. And right now, through 53 games for the Strohs, he has one home run and 20 RBIs, and he's slugging 264. Like, 264. His lifetime slugging percentage 10 years in the big leagues is 497. So it does feel like he's kind of falling off the face of a cliff. I agree with you. I think Dusty's going to let him bat. He's going to let him try to get, find his groove, if you will. But if it comes postseason baseball time, he's not going to have that guy in there. Not with a playoff series on the line. 
So Abreu's got to figure it out. You know, tomorrow's an exciting day, by the way, for this station. I don't know if you realize this, but tomorrow we get to look at the standings. It's June 1st. That means Kevin Foote says it's okay to look at the standings on tomorrow. We can't look until then, but we can look tomorrow. I don't, surprisingly, I don't live my life by the Kevin Foote standards. <laughs> That's maybe good that, that, that most people don't. <laughs> but thank you for reminding me that tomorrow is the first day that you can look at the standings. <laughs> we got to take a timeout. <laughs> when we come back here at RP3 and Company, man, we're going to keep the baseball conversation going right along. As we take a moment to look at some NCAA regional matchups and we'll unveil the foodie poll question of the week. That's all coming up next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. NCAA regionals will begin on Friday. Double elimination format. Some of them meaning if there is a winner-take-all game, won't be played until Monday. And, of course, we know we have four teams from the state of Louisiana that are taking part in regionals. Tulane, after they went on that improbable run to win the AAC Conference Tournament, despite only having 19 wins, they will be the four seed in the Baton Rouge Regional. They'll take on the LSU Tigers, the number one seed and the host in that regional. LSU, of course, is also a national seed, top eight, which means if they win their regional, which also features Oregon State that and Sam Houston State, that they would host the Super Regionals. And they've been paired up with the Lexington Regional, who is having all their people either live on dorms or busing them to nearby Louisville, which is an hour away. I'm sure I'm glad Kentucky's got their act together. Louisiana Raging Cajuns, meanwhile, they're going down to Miami. That's right. Well, technically, Coral Gables Regional. I know it gets confusing. You're thinking, oh, Miami University. University of Miami. It's in it's in uh, Miami. Well, yeah, kind of. Cajuns are going to be down there. They're the three seed, Matt Deggs' team is. Miami Hurricanes are your top seed down there. Texas Longhorns are a two seed, so that's going to be a dogfight of a regional down there near South Beach. And, of course, the Nichols Colonels, they're over in T-Town in Tuscaloosa. Alabama got the 16th and final regional host site. Nichols is the four seed, your Southland Conference regular season and conference tournament champion. So four teams out of the state of Louisiana made it to the regionals. All have good chances to advance, at least LSU, and I believe Louisiana has a good chance as well. Even though I think Miami should be favored in that regional. I think the Cajuns, man, they're going to have a shot. Now, they're going to get tested right off the bat because they've got to take on Texas. A traditional rich program and one filled with history and they know how to win. But you never do know. Weather conditions could play a huge role down there as well. And we talked about it on yesterday's show as well when we jumped right in and I gave my just my 
gut instincts on some regionals to keep an eye on that could prove to provide some upsets. Auburn, for sure. They have Southern Miss in their regional. Good luck. I, you could argue Southern Miss probably should have hosted a regional over Auburn. <laughs> Yet Auburn got one and I'm still trying to wrap my brain around that. Auburn's interesting. South Carolina, the Columbia Regionals, another one to keep an eye on because of the level of competition that's in that regional. And you know what? We talked about it. Lexington. We, we've made fun of Kentucky and how they're not prepared to host a regional, which should be part of the process, you would think. But West Virginia could be a dangerous team out of the Big 12. Yes. I, I agree with everything you said so far, by the way. Um, but here's the thing. I have my favorite. I, I, I like to pick out a regional because I know we're going to get a ton of coverage here this week of the Coral Gables Regional and, of course, of the Baton Rouge Regional um, with the local teams involved. I wanted to give the people something else to look out for. Okay? What? College baseball regional time, and I said this during college basketball season, it's one of my favorite weekends of the year. It goes right there. And again, I actually enjoy the regionals this weekend more so usually than the College World Series. I like the College World Series a lot. I'd say I like the College World Series more than I like the Final Four in basketball. You know, kind of remember I said I like the first weekend of the NCAA tournament more. Um, but college baseball regional is one of my favorite weekends of the year, and I love the ESPN, you know, like bases loaded coverage when they just kind of whip around every different regional. I'm looking forward to that on Friday. Um, so here's my my best regional to look out for. That's not the two that involve our you know our local teams plus uh, the Nichols one. So I guess three. It's the Stillwater Regional in Oklahoma. The Oklahoma State Cowboys are hosting it, and and I think this regional is just going to be insane. First of all, the level of competition. Kevin Foote asked me yesterday what the dif- most difficult regional. Uh, he thought was overall, and I said it's Stillwater. And the reason being, first of all, you have the host team, Oklahoma State, who is um, a national seed and is a dominant baseball program in their own right. They have hit 104 home runs as a team this year, and they have a 302 team batting average. So they're an offensive club that can really score. Um, the number two seed in that regional is Dallas Baptist, who, in case you know people aren't familiar, they're very comparable, I would say, right now to the Raging Cajun softball program. Um, now, the Cajun softball program has more history because Dallas Baptist became Division One in the mid-2000s, um, so they don't have as long of a history. But they've won at least 40 games in eight of the last nine seasons. They've made nine straight regional appearances, um, so they've been here before. They finally broke through, won a regional two years ago, made it to the Supers, so they've always been kind of knocking on the door of being an Omaha team. They were in consideration for a host site as well. They have 109 home runs as a team, with two players having 20 or more home runs. They also have 127 stolen bases, so they're going to get after you in that way. They have a closing pitcher as a 1.82 ERA and a couple of relievers with a sub-2. So they have some guys in the back end that can really kind of throw it. Washington's the three seed, and they have by far the least number of home runs in this regional, and they have 78 of them as a team. And they also hit 296 overall. Um, They're the three seed. And then the reason this regional is so ridiculous, in my opinion, is the number four seed is Oral Roberts, who's 46-11 and this season. Now, Oh, Roberts plays in the Summit League. It's not the best baseball conference in America, clearly. However, the dominance they showed in it is, again, kind of comparable to what Raging Cajun softball does. Things that don't happen. Winning 23 out of 24 conference games. um, Pretty crazy. They have 88 home runs as a team. Every player in their everyday lineup has at least four. They have three guys in the weekend rotation that all have a 3-3-5 ERA or better. Now, again, some of that has to do with conference opponents that haven't been as strong. 
Um, but they also have a closer who has 12 saves and a 1-6-0 ERA with 68 strikeouts in 50 and two-thirds innings. I'm trying to bring you the next level data here at 646 on Wednesday morning. As a team, they field 981 as well. So not a team, not only a team that can really swing it, they can play defensive baseball as well with a 981 fielding percentage. Okay. Um, they went to the College Station Regional last year, if you'll remember, actually with the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. They didn't run into the Cajuns at all. They went 0-2, losing to A&M and, and TCU. But they won 38 games. They've been making regional appearances pretty regularly in the last 10 years or so. And they're your number four seed overall. So with all those said about being the, you know, the offenses involved They've in also regional, won 18 straight. Yeah, they're on a roll. Again, they dominated the Summit League. It wasn't close. They're a team that's used to winning baseball games, and I talk about that a lot. Same thing with basketball. I like teams that are used to winning. So you might say, well, all that offense is great, but sometimes those teams might play in small parks, right? What's it going to be like in the regional? Well, I'm glad you asked. Stillwater, (laughs) which is the regional host site, of course, hosted a regional last year with the Cowboys. Um, Do you know how many many runs were scored in the seven regional games in Stillwater last year? Surprisingly, stunning, I do not. 148 runs scored in the seven games in Stillwater last year, which included a 29-15 to game in which Oklahoma State beat Missouri State, where 44 runs were scored. Okay. The average number of runs scored per game in that regional last year was 21. 21 runs per 21. game combined, average scoring in that regional. So Stillwater is friendly to some offenses, and we have four offenses that all have at least 78 home runs. Um, again, a number four seed who... To contrast, like Tulane's a team that's won 19 games. They're a four seed in the Baton Rouge Regional. Oral Roberts has won 46 games. Um, they're among the nation's leaders in, in, in wins. I think they only trail Wake Forest and maybe one other team. So I think it's going to be a gauntlet. And I, Oklahoma State, look, I, you know, they, I don't think they got the best draw here from the committee. And I know four seeds, like they're 16 four seeds. Some are going to be better than others. That's just how it works. Um, but I think that's going to be a regional that the offense is going to be everywhere. But like I mentioned... Oral Roberts and Dallas Baptist both have some back-end guys in the bullpen that can really throw it. Now, Oklahoma State has a pretty good staff as well. Um, I honestly think Washington is the team that really, I, that if I had to pick a team to go 0-2, I'd pick Washington here. I think Oral Roberts finds a way to win a game in this regional, but uh, I'm excited for Stillwater. Can I have a counter to your point? Sure. If, you're, if you allow me. Can I throw the Fayetteville Regional at you? Okay. And here's why. If I may be so bold. Obviously, Razorbacks are the three number three national seed. So it should be easy for them, right? They're a top four seed. But Razorbacks have been really good, 41-16. and 16. TCU's a 37-win team. Arizona's a 33-win team. And Santa Clara's 35-win team. TCU beat Arkansas earlier this year, 18-6, at a neutral site on opening weekend. It's a long time ago. I understand that. The Horned Frogs scored 48 runs, sweeping the four games in the Big 12 tournament. They're hot. Yes. Arizona knocked off Pac-12 regular season champion Stanford, 14-7 in the side the conference tournament as well, and has won seven of their past nine with Chase Davis and Kiko Romero combining for eight home runs and 40 RBIs during that stretch. And Santa Clara has outscored its opponents 85-26 to during its current eight-game winning streak. I'm in. I'm it's in not still water. But I'm just saying, well, keep an eye on the Fayetteville Regional. Arkansas should win, but we've seen the national seeds get upset before it happens. And I'm very glad that you brought up the head-to-head point because that actually is something I forgot to mention in that first regional. 
Um, Oklahoma State has played Oral Roberts twice this season. They're 0-2 against them, which, you know, the committee, it's funny how they do these things sometimes. We talked about that with McNeese heading to Washington. We thought maybe that'd be an advantage for Washington that it wouldn't sneak up on them. Well, they almost lost that regional altogether to McNeese. Um, They went 0-2 against Oral Roberts, and they split the season series with Dallas Baptist. So the host team in the number 11 national seed, Oklahoma State, has a 1-3 record against the teams in their regional during the regular season. (laughs) I just I, I think Not it's going to be chaotic, and I think it's going to be fun, and I think you. I'm hoping that there's a game that's 25 to 22 in this region, because <laughs> we we pretty much got that last year when it's 29 to 15, and that Missouri State game, by the way, uh, when they played, I, I'd have to go back and look at it. I'm pretty sure Missouri State had like a huge lead early on, and then Oklahoma State came back, and then again wins the game by 14 runs, um, but it, it was just chaos, and I'm I'm, I'm hoping we get part two in Stillwater. We'll talk more about some of these regional matchups on tomorrow's edition of RP3 and Company. I, I, I'm going to bring Terre Haute to the to the table because it's a very intriguing Sycamores. They get to host a regional, great season, and they get North Carolina and Iowa in their region. <laughs> and Lexington uh. should be fun because the players are sleeping on like you know air mattresses on <laughs> in the, the back of, the of a rental truck, yeah. Yeah. in the back of a U-Haul. We got to <laughs> take a time out. We'll unveil the foodie poll question of the week next right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language. You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Anukoraru. Oof. And I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola. More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Wasawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced <laughs> last night. Me fail English? That's impossible. Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Our foodie poll question of the week on this Wednesday is one that we're circling back on. We asked this at the beginning of baseball season, but you know what? I was inspired by two things. A, had some grilled hot dogs over the weekend. Always delicious. For a pool party. For one of our church functions. Secondly, Braves fan for life, friend of the show, went over to Mississippi and watched the Mississippi Braves play a couple of games. And he shared some of the food items that he was having at the ballpark. So it was like, hey, it's baseball. Yeah, now, now that baseball's back, people have had a chance to go out and sample and maybe change their opinions here. There we go. And once again, our instinct was correct. Because here we go. What's your favorite ballpark concession food? Is it nachos? Is it a hot dog? Is it pretzel? Or is it other? Always a popular choice. Right now, 57% of you say hot dog. 35% say nachos. 8% say other. Ralph says, I feel like we did this for opening day and now pretzels replace popcorn. Orville Redenbacher's rolling over in his grave. Anyway, in the hammock, we just snack on what's around the house. But at the park, a dog and another, which is code word for beer. Popcorn is a part of Team Other, by the way. There we go. Team Other is popcorn. B-Rad says, same as last time, y'all posed this poll question, nachos and barbecue. That's fine. But how about John Paul Cajun Daddy bringing something new to the table? 
Zephyr Field is the ballpark I would say I had been to the most in my favorite ballpark concession, either the shrimp stew or the chicken and tasso jambalaya. That wasn't part of the last poll question. That's why we're doing it again. I have bad news for him. Zephyr Field's been extinct for about 10 years now. <laughs> Shout out to the Shrine on Airline. We got to take a timeout. Hour one in the books. Hour number two coming up right here on the game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything going to be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Welcome back to RP3 and Company right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. I'm the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parch third, better known as RP3. Of course, I'm joined inside the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette by the producer extraordinaire, Dawson Iserlow. Our number one, how about baseball? How about baseball? How about baseball? That's what we talked a lot about in our number one. There was baseball, and then there was some baseball talk, and then we talked a little bit more about baseball. Grant Anderson the former McNeese star relief pitcher gets called up to the show for the Texas Rangers. And in relief, what does he do? In his first appearance, goes out there, strikes out the first four batters he faces, ends up recording seven strikeouts in total, works more than two innings of work, and picks up a win as well as the Rangers maintain their positioning atop the AL West standings. Houston Astros, after losing to the Twins on Memorial Day, they bounce back, get a strong performance at the plate, a couple home runs from Bregman and McCormick, and they got some solid pitching as well, including from the bullpen as they got the win and got back on track against the Twinkies. And then we did a deep dive into NCAA regionals, obviously, LSU Tigers, they will be hosting the Baton Rouge Regional. They'll take on Tulane in the first game of that regional on Friday. First pitch is set for 2 o'clock. You can listen to the game live right here on the game. And then, obviously, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns are down in South Florida at the Coral Gables Regional. They're the three seed. They'll take on two seed Texas at 1 o'clock on Friday. Miami Hurricanes is your national seed and your regional host there. And the Nichols Colonels, they're over in Tuscaloosa as the four seed, the Southland Conference regular season and conference tournament champions. And then we did a deep dive into a regional that Dawson believes could be the toughest of all 16 regionals this weekend. Stillwater Regional. I actually agree with him on that, but I say keep an eye on the Fayetteville Regional. Arkansas, I understand, is the three seed, the national seed. But, man, they got some tough competition in that regional. TCU has been absolutely on a tear, and so is Arizona. So, could be some upsets. I still like another SEC regional. Look, Auburn regional, Tuscaloosa regional, Columbia regional. (laughs) 
<laughs> I gave you three regionals hosted by SEC teams to be watching out for. Maybe Fayetteville and Lexington as well. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if the SEC teams win, but Auburn's going to have their hands full. Southern Miss Golden Eagles are no joke. Absolutely no joke. And, of course, we had our poll question of the day as well. And some of you are already salty about it. What's your favorite ballpark concession food? You know what? Kevin Foote has told us June 1st is when you can actually start paying attention to the standings. We had the holiday weekend. People grilled out hot dogs. Braves fan for life went over to Jackson, right outside of Jackson, to watch Mississippi Braves baseball. So we circled back to this question. It's okay for us to do so. Ralph. <laughs> Ralph coming for us. Throwing I, I, slings and arrows. And just so the people know, there was a conversation had pre-show about the reaction to this. And, and we were aware of the reaction, but we kind of wanted to rile the people up a little bit, get some conflicting opinions. I think we were fully successful in doing so. That's right. 58% of you say hot dog is your favorite ballpark concession food. 33% say nachos. 9% of you say other Zero percent for pretzels. Why does everyone hate pretzels? Ralph has followed up. Hey, I get it. According to Foot, the season officially starts tomorrow, so it's opening day part due. But a pretzel? I see you eating healthy for that next 5K RP3. Yeah. Let me I'm tell not you, saying I'm eating a pretzel. Well, let me tell you that. First of all, I don't I don't know if pretzels are, it, it, you know, I don't know about healthy, you know, no, no. especially depending on the toppings. But I, oh, I will the say salt this. alone. You want to talk about the versatility of a pretzel? Oh, I mean, here we go. You're talking about, first of all, now, I know some, a lot of people like mustard with the pretzel. I'm not a mustard guy, never have been. Um, but you're talking about mustard, cheese on there. You all of a sudden make it this, like, cheesy kind of pretzel thing going on. Of course, salt is an option. But then you flip around cinnamon sugar, dip it in some icing, you got dessert. I mean, it's just a versatile, and all can be done at the ballpark. You get that little, you know, spray can of butter they put on there, and then the cinnamon sugar that <laughs> sticks to it and or the salt. You know, it's not, again, we're not talking healthy at this point, but... Just a versatile option, much like the potato. You can just put it in a variety of situations. It's like that. It's like Cooper Rawls. You know, you could put him in as a starter. He can close. He could pitch in the middle of the game. You do anything. So Cooper Rawls is the pretzel of the Raging Cajun pitching staff. Yes. Yeah, there it is. There it is. So when you are going to see the Houston Astros live in person, pretty soon, yeah, a couple in of a weeks. couple weeks. What's going to be your go-to at the concession stand? I was thinking about that, and maybe I'll need some you know, some help from um, you know. Maybe I'll talk to. Uh, we, I should we should have asked Brett Chancy, but maybe we'll get a chance to ask him next week. Um, but I've 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 gone Nacho Helmet in Houston before. It's been a while. Um, now I know they've got some new uh, options over there. I've seen some of the things on social media. Okay, I'm gonna to have to do my homework um, and, and and really think about it and and really kind of you know choose my my favorite one or two options that I can get. Uh, that's gonna be something I have to think about ahead of time so you're going to scout this out ahead of time yeah i think you're it's always do, a you know you're going to walk into minute maid park and you're going to say i have an agenda i have a, a purpose while i'm here to watch this game i know exactly what i want and where to go well you know the thing is that i don't get a chance to go to minute maid park too too often you know maybe once or twice a year didn't get a chance to go at all last year so it's like i'm not going to miss an opportunity right i want to so, know and, and and the worst case scenario in a ballpark like that is you go up and you get your item and you go sit down, and you've already, you know, you're, you're full, whatever. And then you see somebody across the way has got the best item in the world, and you're like, wait a minute, I didn't know they had that. So I don't want to be surprised. I'm like foot when it comes to the draft. I don't want to be surprised by the offerings when I get there. I did that the last time. That always happens to me. 
that actually made me change. The last time, a couple years back, I went to a Mississippi Braves game, and that's where I found the 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 tremendous pulled pork, cheese, barbecue sauce, potato thing in a big half a baseball bowl. <laughs> and I saw someone walking around with it, and I said, I want that. I, I, I went up to him. I go, where'd you get that? And they pointed that concession stand. I said, thank you very much. That's the way to do it. Most, <laughs> more times than not. Just So, yes, if you see the big, bald, and beautiful one at the ballpark and I'm charging you, that typically means that I'm not angry with you. That typically means that you have something in your possession that you bought at the concession stand that I want to know where you got it and what it is so I can go put it in my belly as well. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on, Reynold, to the show. Reynold, I hope you had a safe holiday weekend, brother. What's on your mind, my friend? You know, not all ball- ballparks are created equal. So with that said... I've been to uh, five professional baseball games, and every one of them, their food was different. Yes. Uh, I mean, you could go with the the, the, the all-safety hot dog. Uh, my first professional game was at uh, L.A. Dodger game, and their, uh, you know, uh, uh, sauerkraut and mustard, you can't go wrong. And then I went to uh, Fenway. Where you got to get the brat. Oh my God, they are incredible. Yankee Stadium was the pizza. So I mean, it's really uh, just stay away from the nachos. They're nasty everywhere. <laughs> well, see, the problem it, it, with nachos is this, Reynold, is that if the chips are stale, it ruins the whole thing. Well, that too. But uh, the last stadium we went to was my. Uh, my holy trinity, uh, Yankees, Fenway, and we went to Chicago Cubs. Oh, nice. And they give you these nachos in this big Chicago Cub hat, okay? And by the time you start eating it, it's like a soggy cereal. <laughs> it's so nasty. It was nasty. Um. So we had to opt out and get the hot dog, which was basic. But, uh... Yeah, a Fenway, uh, Fenway brat and Dodger dog in, in, in uh, there you at go. L.A. Oh, man. There you go. Appreciate the phone call, brother. Enjoy the rest of your day, my friend. You have a great day. So he brought up ballparks. So obviously he's been out to the ravine to Dodger Stadium, which is on, even though I dislike the Dodgers, I would love to go to a game there. Because I can put together my my uh, how I feel about a team to go watch a game there. Same thing if I ever had the chance to go to Yankee Stadium, I would go. So, what ballparks have you been to? Only two. Only two. Only two. Yep. Only well, Major League. Only Minute Maid and uh, SunTrust Park over there in Atlanta for your Braves. I've never seen my Braves at home. I went ever. It was the summer of my after my freshman year of college, and me, I have a buddy who's a Braves fan and then another buddy who's a Cubs fan, but the Braves are like his second team, which, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> and But I just kind of wanted to go to go, and we went, and we had no money. Um, we brought frozen dinner meals from the store and heated them up in the hotel microwave because we didn't really have enough money to buy food once we got to the uh, That's a ballpark because, you know, the tickets in the hotel room and everything That's else. That's a boss move. 
Yeah. So, uh, but we had a great time. We, and I actually met, um, it was Legends Weekend, and I ended up meeting a, a former Raging Cajun pitcher in the elevator, which who I didn't even know who he, and he said, he saw my Cajun stuff. He was like, oh, by the way, I pitched for the, uh, for the Cajuns back in the day. I got to find his name. Um, oh, man, doesn't even remember the legend. No, it was it was a it was a very common name too, and I get them mixed up. And I don't want I know I think I know the name, but I don't want to say it if it's wrong. So I'm going to confirm it in the break. All right, there we go. There yes. we go. Let's see. I'm trying to. Uh, I've never seen my Braves play. Never went to the old launching pad. Never went to Turner Field. Now I've been to Turner Field since it's been converted to Georgia State's football stadium, and I have not been to their new home as well. I've seen my Braves play. I've just never seen them at home. Every time I've gone to Atlanta, I've gone to Atlanta probably a handful of times in my life. They're never there. <laughs> Jose Alvarez, by the way, was the guy I met. The there we go. Very nice guy. He I've never been able to see my Braves live in person. Uh, ballparks, I've been to Wrigley Field uh, more than a few times. First baseball game I ever went to was Cubs, Expos, 18 innings. And the seats were right behind third base dugout. And it was Mark Grace, Andre Dawson, Greg Maddox, and Mark Grace Sandberg for the Cubs. And the Expos had Larry Walker, Delino DeShields, Marquise Grissom, and I do believe it was Pedro or Randy Johnson. I can't remember. Still have the scorecard. So been to Wrigley, been to Old Bush Stadium, New Bush Stadium a bunch. Been to Anaheim, believe it or not. Been to Kansas City, Kaufman. Where the Royals play. I've been to Minute Maid and I've been to the old Rangers ballpark and the new Rangers ballpark. So not too bad. Yeah, and, oh, and I've been to, I've seen the White Sox play at whatever they call New Comiskey. Cellular Field, I think Cell, it is. Yeah, Cell Phone Park. Cell, <laughs> Cell Phone Park. I believe it's U.S. Cellular Field, I, I think. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so, but yeah, every time I go, every time I go to a ballpark, I have to get a hot dog. Now I get other things as well. Like I, I already went to a major league baseball game this year, early in the season when I went to the Final Four for the women's uh, women's Final Four in Dallas. I went to a Rangers game, and on the outside it looks like a Costco, and the parking situation is a nightmare there, nightmare because they didn't tear down the old park; it's still there. Yes, I was there for the Cotton Bowl, um, and the old park, actually, the funny thing is we didn't even know what it was at first. I didn't recognize it because it has a new name and everything like that, but, it, I mean, still, it looks beautiful. It's like Tribal Casino out of Oklahoma bought it. Yes. Right, and it's like, so this is what now? They said, oh, it's where concerts happen, and then I, I was like, wait a minute, no, that's the old baseball park, and then, you know, yeah, put it go. all together. There you go. Yeah, parking's a nightmare, but inside is not bad. Got to take a timeout. Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. And we'll update it and share your comments throughout today's show. When we come back here on RP3 and Company, hey, some great news about spring football and the XFL. They're doing well. Not so much. We'll get to that and more right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station than going to the dentist. Take that, dental hygiene. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
You know, we were talking about the ballpark there, the old ballpark in Arlington, which is now being repurposed as a concert venue, also as an XFL stadium. That's their home stadium. Well, the XFL, which is trying once again to be viable and valuable, is on the struggle bus. Reports coming out that the third version of it, XFL 3.0, this one ran essentially and owned by The Rock, who took it over from Vince McMahon, who tried to do the XFL not once but twice and both times canceled after one year. Well, major changes are happening at the XFL due to a not great first year under this new version. They've had widespread cuts. XFL has let go of key personnel, including its CMO, its VP of marketing, according to sources. The move affecting up to 30 people as part of sweeping restructuring strategy as the league prepares for a clean slate starting in June. So you're telling me that it's not profitable. You're telling me that there's fundamental issues with the XFL. Again, are are we surprised by this? Like, I believe spring football can work, Dawson. I really do. But it's got to be one. We had the American Alliance of Football. Shout out to Zach Medenberger, who was part of that. And that got cut, you know, killed because of COVID and because they didn't have enough money to pay their bills. Remember? The XFL tried to come back during the pan, and that got shut down allegedly due to the pandemic. More probably the fact that that wasn't ready to be up and running. And here we go with the XFL under new ownership, smart businessman like The Rock, and it's struggling. They're having to lay off people after one season yet again. Now, the USFL seems to kind of have a better handle on things because as much as it's frustrating not to go see the teams in person, they're doing what I call a slow rollout, right? Where it was like, okay, all the games last year were in Birmingham. Well, now we've expanded the league. We've expanded to a couple other regional sites. We eventually will get to the point where you can go see the New Orleans Breakers in New Orleans. But that's going to come because they want to establish themselves. They want to make sure their television product is where it needs to be. They want to have all the broadcasting stuff taken care of. And they want to give people time to jump in to become a fan. So I actually like the USFL's approach. Even though it may be a little bit slower, it seems to be the safer approach to try to build up your brand. But I don't think two of them can exist. No, I don't I don't think so. Now, it's interesting, too, because there's a difference, too, between the spring football and the idea of different forms of it. Because Arena Football League had a great run for, I mean, a couple of decades, right? I mean, And, and Arena Football is now, they're also trying to make a comeback again, like, I just don't know how much of the pie there is to spread around that's not the National Football League. NFL now, Europe, remember, that was a thing? Now, and the interesting thing about it is, like, I do think there's a place for a minor league football system within the U.S. Um, that's run by the NFL. Like, I think that could work. I don't know, you know, they haven't shown, the NFL clearly, though, they, and look, they, they kind of know how to run a business. We know that. And they haven't shown interest in doing it, or at least they haven't 
fully pursued it. So I guess they have the reasons for it. But well, their their main reason is that the minor league system is the NCAA. Yeah, well, that's that's part of it. <laughs> but I mean, even in you know, that's... even in basketball, you still see it work with both models, right? You see the G League and you see college basketball yes. coexist. But anyway, I, I think. I've always, when when both leagues announce, I always thought the best option for both of them is eventually to merge together. Now, I just don't know if they're, if they're interested in that, if either one of them is interested in it. I don't know if it even makes enough sense to try to merge them together. I don't know if, you know, one is even valuable enough to merge, right? If you're going to merge, it's because both have some sort of value to offer. I don't know if the XFL is in that standpoint, and maybe they are. I just don't have enough inside knowledge of it, right? But um, I think there's a place for it, and yeah, I, I've enjoyed it. I've and for whatever reason, I've enjoyed the USFL a little more. I felt a little bit more invested in the product. Maybe it's because there's a New Orleans team. I don't know. Um, I've felt a little bit more inclined to turn those games on when I've seen them. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. Like I don't, I don't think it's ever about the quality of the of the play on the field either, right? Like I, it's 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 a weird thing because it's like what what does it need to happen to make it entertaining? And it's not. It's not better players. I don't think that's going to solve it. Maybe some people think it would. I don't think that would. I think it just has to be an overall well-marketed, well-thought-out product. Um, I think smaller stadiums, in my opinion, is better. I Give it agree that with feel that. of a big-time college football game because, as opposed to a... Because nothing watching this, watching these games in, in half or three-quarters empty stadiums makes it compelling. And it was only... The only reason I think that worked in the NFL during COVID is because it was the NFL, and I still think it was tougher to watch when the stadiums were empty. It, for me, it was. The NFL was already a billion-dollar brand. Right, right. right it was, I'm saying time, the only so. reason it was... Like, the only reason it worked for them to play games in empty stadiums and COVID, same with the NBA, is because of who they were. I don't think any of these... And, yeah, look, the first time the XFL and the AAF launched, like, that's just tough timing. Like, almost any new business that started during COVID, unless they were selling sanitizer, didn't work out, right? Like, Correct restaurants and stuff. If you launch a restaurant in late 2019, it's just it was the, it was a horrific situation to be in. So I don't fully blame them for that first one, but um, yeah, it feels like the USFL's maybe been a little bit more patient, a little bit more thought out. But I would love to see emerge and, and create a league that's got 20 teams or so. Like I just think it's also tough to get involved when it's like, oh, there's how many teams are there? Eight, and then what half will make the playoffs? And we got like two playoff games, and then you know in the XFL, what did a four and six team? They won the need title, to do a so. better job with their marketing. I think the USFL's done a better job with its product and how it's presented this season as it was for last season. So you've seen them make some strides there. Uh, and, and look, I pay attention more to the USFL because I remember it as a kid than I did the XFL. Okay. Um, we also, you know, Cole Kelly's a local kid, so I'm, I'm keeping an eye on that and what he's doing with the Memphis Showboat. So I'm a little bit more invested because of that. I think that's part of it. Uh, but two leagues, it just doesn't work. Just well, doesn't work. And can I also bring it up? And I know it's tough to do it because you're trying to create a league that has parody and stuff. But I think the local stars, I think that's an angle to take. I think having the local stars be on their team. I think if Cole Kelly, now of course you don't have like a Lafayette-based team or anything like that, but I think the you you'd like to see a lot you could of have former them on the Breakers. I was going to say, and a lot of former New Orleans prep stars playing on the Breakers. Yes. A lot of you know Houston area has so much talent, right? Or, uh, Memphis area, the Memphis Tiger, and I know they had. Uh, I think they had a couple of guys for a while that were that played at Memphis. But I think that brings people out. I remember going to a game at, at Zephyr Field, uh, which shout out to Zephyr Field getting two shout outs. It's now defunct. Cool. It's now Shrine on Airline, host of uh, I believe Nola Gold Rugby. So, um, but there was a game where I didn't even know. You know, we got to the game just going to a regular game, and it was packed, and people were cheering for the other team, and we were going, "What's going on?" And we found out it was Wade Miley pitching at the time for the opponent guy who pitched at Southeastern is still in the big leagues, by the way. He's had a heck of a big league career. 
Um, but everybody in the area showed up and like supported because it was the local guy, even though they were playing against the hometown team of the Zephyrs. So I think if you get that local flavor, and I don't know if there's a way to kind of assign players regionally, um, and that's probably not part of their model, but I think that would help as well. I think I would people agree. would go out and see, oh, oh, I remember him playing in high school, or I remember him playing in college. Let or, you know, if you're a breakers, oh, that guy played at LSU, or that guy right. played for the Cajuns, it, yeah. it, it, it would help a little bit. I agree. I still just don't think two of them can coexist. So XFL had a rough go of it, version 3.0. They're already having layoffs. Not a promising sign of things to come. we got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll talk LSU baseball, Baton Rouge Regional. Whew. Starts Friday, LSU taking on Tulane. We'll get a preview of it from the mad dog of Tiger Details, Ron Higgins, when he joins us live next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Baton Rouge Regional. This Friday, and it will begin with LSU, the host team, taking on Tulane. Green Wave coming off an improbable run where they only won 19 games but won their conference tournament. They're in LSU-Tulane. The old rivals will meet. First pitch scheduled for 2 o'clock at the box. Of course, you can listen to the game live right here on the game. To talk more about the Baton Rouge Regional, and the LSU baseball team's chances of making a run, as well as, hey, SEC is having its meetings down in lovely Florida and some scuttlebutt being made about the conference schedules. We'll talk all about that with the award-winning columnist from Tiger Details, our good friend, the Mad Dog, Ron Higgins, joins us now. Ron, good morning to you, brother. How are you? I'm good, Raymond. How you doing, man? Good. I'm doing great, brother. I'm doing great. So, all right, let's dive into this LSU baseball team. Uh, They got some actual good performances for some of their relief pitchers at the SEC tournament until they didn't. Uh, (laughs) And it was a bit of an early exit for the Tigers. But is what you saw from guys like Thatcher Hurd and Cooper and uh, Ockenheisen, are those enough? Does that give you... Any more confidence? Does that change your perception of what this team is capable of moving forward? Slightly, but I, they still need probably two, three more relievers at least. I mean, you, unless the starters just play great. I mean, I, I thought the starting pitching was really was pretty good. I mean, Thatcher uh, Hurd got a good start. Ty Floyd got a good start. Skeens uncharacteristically had a bad game. That was his first bad one of the year. Uh, when he struggled in that game, you could you kind of knew they were they're, they were going to win that game because so they they kind of feed off of him. But uh, Raleigh Cooper surprised me because you the last week I, I you know I just said I, I have a bad feeling every time he goes on the mound and and uh, then he went out and did that. It's not like he was listening to me, but he, he probably <laughs> went and, you know, he actually went out and played good. Uh, good for him. Uh, uh, of course, you know, 
my wife and her my wife and her keen sports insight saw Raleigh for the first time and, and noted he needs to lose weight. What's wrong with him? All other guys are like you know in shape, uh, but Raleigh's you know Raleigh came out and pitched well, uh, and I got to give him credit. I think Ackenhausen is a, is a, a really a key for them. He was really good early in the year. He had the hamstring problem, to, then then missing time and and, at, and and took time to work work back into shape. So, uh, and Gavin Gidry, I think, is another key. Uh, but then again, they got to hit the ball when they're supposed to hit the ball. And I think I don't know if their, their offense was. I mean, I know they faced some good pitching last week, but you're gonna face good pitching from now on, and uh, they they need to kind of put some runs up. And I thought last week they had a couple of games that left too many men on base. And I know Jay Johnson likes to say, well, you know, the way we, you know, draw walks for leave a lot of men on base. Well, yeah, but you need to get some hits to get some people in. Uh, but they look, they got a, they got a, a bracket that can get them to Omaha. I mean, they win this. They play Kentucky, who they beat two out of three in Baton Rouge. Uh, it's a very favorable bracket. The NCAA did them a nice favor here. I mean, they—it's they, not like it's not impossible. I mean, even with, uh, so, yeah, I, I like their bracket. Uh, their starting pitching gave them more innings. I think really, if you look at it, the, the pitching really had two bad innings in in in, in Birmingham. It was enough to kind of do them in, but you saw enough positive things in Birmingham to to Hoover to, to think, okay, uh, they're on the upswing here a little bit. I mean, they they, they got a shot. I mean, it's a, it's a little bit better than it has been. They have been a little bit better. How do you think Jay is going to set his rotation for the upcoming regional? Uh, no way he's going to throw Skeens out there against Tulane, right? I mean, you think he would save him probably for Oregon State on Saturday. How do you think he's going to attack the rotation for the regional? Uh, Thatcher Hurd, Skeens, and Ty Floyd could just like the, like the SEC tournament. Jay's a, when it comes to a pitching, he's kind of a creature of habit in some ways. Like he likes to keep guys. In a certain rotation on the, you know, and their their routines on the day they played, Fats uh, Hurd's good up to beat Tulane. I mean, uh, and then like I said, Skeens, and then and then and then Ty Floyd. So I think that's the way they'll settle up. I'll be surprised if there's any other way. Uh, so I think that's the way they'll go. Uh, uh, you know, and and kudos to Tulane for getting here. I mean, I mean they shouldn't even be in the tournament. Uh, but they got here, uh, you know, and, and, and they made the field. And they had to have a lot of other teams probably sweat about getting in this tournament uh, when they made the field because they were totally unexpected. It's look, it's rare. It's not that rare in, 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 you know, in, in the men's basketball tournament for uh, upsets to happen and, and teams to get in, uh, you know, the, the, the big dance and, and, but man, what happens in baseball? It doesn't happen very often like this. And so when it does, it's like wow, somebody starts start sweating on this one trying to get in. But uh, I just think, I mean, LSU handled them pretty easy early in the year in New Orleans and on a Tuesday night game. Uh, 
and I think they can do that again on Friday. Uh, again, this the, the, the NCAA did LSU a big favor. They set this thing up to give them Omaha. They really, really did. Well, Ron, you may have kind of already answered my question here with the way you said you think he's going to handle the rotation, but do you think Jay Johnson's given any thought to the idea of using some of his best starters in different roles, whether it's Ty Floyd coming out of the pen if you need him in a certain situation, or I imagine he's not going to want to use Skeens anywhere other than giving him a start. But Yeah, he's not going to use Skeens. Uh, but, you know, if somebody had, you know, and, and like, I mean, Floyd or, Her- Floyd or Heard, guys who've had a previous experience coming out of the pen, they, they might do that. If they're extended in, into a, you know, if they if they happen to lose a game, they got to you know they got to kind of fight their way back a little bit. Maybe he might, but uh, again, he's pretty much a, a creature of habit, uh, and that's something he may not do until if they got to Omaha, where you have to. There's a lot of a lot of games and it's just a lot of pitchers that might do that, but. Jay really tried with his pitchers. He tries to really stick with their routines, and and, and once he sets their rotation, kind of pitches them on the day uh, they're supposed to. Uh, I, I found it interesting in his press thing on Monday that he made the announcement that there'll be no more. Uh, he will not talk about pitching rotation or injuries the rest of the NCAA tournament. Okay, whatever. <laughs> Be you know, be paranoid. Understand understand your pitching stuff. I get it. Okay, your injuries really. Come on, man. I mean, that's just when I think of him and I think of Brian Kelly, who willingly talks about injuries. If you ask about you know Brian, the guy's hurt, you know, uh, and he'll he'll tell you, well, yeah, he he, he's, he can't go this week. When we talked about about his you know his his ankle, I mean, that's not not well yet. And then you get a baseball coach who's like, I'm not talking about injuries. Why? You, you can't answer a question about Tommy White. Is he hurt? Is he not hurt? Is he resting? Well, that's it's, 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 it's crap like that that just sets you off. All that's, right. That's kind of where it's I just, wanted to go next. It's a Liz. simple question. It's a simple question. Is he hurt or not hurt? Is he resting? What does it mean? You pull him out of an SEC tournament game. So is he hurt or not hurt? Well, that's where I kind of want to go here. That lineup kind of had some injuries down the stretch, and I guess we're not going to get any official updates on them, but do you have any concern about the lineup and the ability to score runs, or do you think they'll just kind of get through it the way they've gotten through it most of the year? They'll get through the way they got through it most of the year. I mean, I mean, I mean, he, I mean he admitted, you know, uh, Trey Morgan's banged up. Uh, but, of course, it's because of the way Trey Morgan plays left field. You know, he, he, you know, he plays it like a demolition derby. Uh, you know he he he's fearless, which is not good in some ways. But uh, he's banged. I mean, he, no, I tell you, I mean, Trey, even Trey said that. I mean, he's he's banged up some. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they got, they got, this is the time of year. Like it, it's it's do or die time now. You play, you play if your heart. There's there's nothing. There's no tomorrow in this one, baby. You're you're either you're done for the year. Or you're not. Uh, if this team doesn't get the Omaha, it will be a disappointment, especially when you supposedly have the two best players in college baseball and you don't get there. So, is the pressure on LSU? Hell yeah, it is. 
Yeah, yes, indeed. And especially with this bracket set up. It ain't, it's not that hard of a bracket. It really isn't. So, Let me uh, ask you this, Mad Dog. Let's switch gears from baseball to football. The coaches are meeting down in Destin. There's been a lot of discussion. And it, it seems like the league itself, the coaches themselves, are kind of divided here on eight-game or nine-game conference schedule. Why is this something that's still being debated, and why is this such a divisive issue for the coaches? Well, you know, what it comes down to, Raymond, is nobody, gonna give, nobody gives a crap what the coaches could do. Coaches don't vote on it. Presidents vote on it. And ultimately, the presidents are going to say, tell the coaches, stop your whining. Uh, we're going to go to nine games. That's, that's the thing people understand about the process in Destin. Uh, the coaches can whine and, and or, or say they like it all they want, and they pass it on to the ADs. The ADs can whine and say all they want. Well, it comes down to when presidents and chancellors go in and either vote it or they don't vote it. Uh, and honestly, I think they'll, they'll vote nine games uh, eventually. But this, I, I guarantee you, this issue would have been settled a long time ago if Mike Slive had been the commissioner, still alive and the commissioner. Uh, Mike Slive had the unique ability to get all these people in the room uh, with different viewpoints and get them to a consensus, no matter what. Uh, I think Sankey and sometimes is too nice of a guy. And he needs to tell some of these people, we're going to play nine games, okay? This is how we're going to do it. We're going to have three three permanent opponents and, and six rotators. I think I think the football coaches are all concerned about the, the three teams that are going to play as permanent opponents, you know, uh, Nick, Nick, Nick's upset because he's got to play, you know, Alabama, Tennessee, LSU. Well, you know, Auburn, Tennessee, and LSU. Well, you play any every year now anyway. So what does that matter? I mean, they're not like they're changing something on you. What does it matter? I mean, LSU's going to get a break probably if they do that because they're not going to have to play Florida every year anymore. I mean, I mean, there there's to be. I mean, Arkansas, A&M, and Alabama. So it's like stop your whining about stuff and just get the same done. They've been talking about this thing for like so like three or four years now. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a little excessive, brother. Am I going to see you at the box this weekend? Every damn game, I'll be there. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I, I want to see this uh, uh, this train either ride to Omaha or, or implode one or two. We'll see what happens. Uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be packed. It'll be fun and. And, and, and good luck to all the Louisiana teams in this thing. I mean, uh, it's a, it, it's impressive. Everybody got in. I mean, they're supposed to get in, and Tulane was a surprise team. So, again, this just goes to show Louisiana baseball is, is pretty good. And and by the way, LSU played 14 teams this year that are in the NCAA tournament. They had seven teams on, on their, off their non-conference schedule made the NCAA tournament. Seven. That's pretty good. Yeah, 23-12 against them this year. Yeah, LSU. It's yeah. not as good as the stuff that you bring to the table every Wednesday on this show, but still, it's pretty good, brother. Thank you for your time. Well, I have a really good non-conference schedule. So. <laughs> I'll see you Friday, bud. See ya. <laughs> this is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
Alexa and the game make a great team. Do yourself a favor and enable the Alexa skill, the game Southwest Louisiana, so you can keep it locked in to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, wherever you go. Poll question of the day. We asked you, what's your favorite ballpark concession food? Braves fan for life kind of inspired this because he traveled over to outside of Jackson to catch the Mississippi Braves over the holiday weekend. I was like, hey. And then I had some delicious grilled hot dogs at a pool party over the holiday weekend. So we circled back on this one, especially with it being June 1st tomorrow, which means you can start paying attention to the standings. What's your favorite ballpark concession food? 59% of you say hot dog. 32% say nachos. 9% say other no votes for pretzel. People are hating on the pretzel. Even though Dawson said the pretzel is the most versatile one out there. You can do so much with it. No votes for the pretzel. Unbelievable. Ton says my go-to is a hot dog. Last time I went to a Cajuns game, I was disappointed by microwave pretzels. Just why? Give me a dog for the first inning, a few adult beverages as needed, and nachos in the sixth, popcorn in the eighth, and a sugar rust with candy if it goes to extras. My man's got the whole day planned out. Could take some tips there, Dawson. John Paul says, Dawson, I know it's gone and it's sad, but they had some rocking, unconventional concessions down at Zephyr Field. Would you like to respond to that? Yeah, they had a little bit of a cheat code too. They had this kids meal offering, um, and it was like a, it was a regular hot dog with a drink and popcorn. It was like four bucks, but then like if you bought the same items off the regular menu, it cost you like ten or twelve. Um, but they, you know, we figured that out, so we would order kids meals all the time. <laughs> the man had his cheat code as Zephyr Field. I love it. Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. Keep leaving your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll make sure to share them throughout. The remaining of the show. Hour two done. Hour three, what do we got in store? How about Salty Steve? That's right, Steve Flint, longtime decorated thoroughbred horse trainer, will be joining us to help preview Louisiana Legends Night this weekend at Evangeline Downs. But we'll kick off hour number three with Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Raging Cajuns, right here on the game. Oh, yeah. Everything. Everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Welcome back to RP3 and Company. Hour 3 has arrived. Half an hour from right now, Steve Flint, longtime horse trainer, thoroughbred horse trainer, will help us preview Louisiana Legends Night at Evangeline Downs this coming weekend. That's coming up in a half hour from right now. Don't forget to vote on the poll question of the day as well. But we've spent a lot of time today talking baseball, and rightfully so. It's regional season, and the Louisiana Raging Cajuns find themselves in a regional for the second consecutive year under Matt Deggs. They earned the number three seed in the Coral Gables Regional, which is going to be hosted by the Miami Hurricanes, also featuring the Texas Longhorns as well. And to talk about the great run Matt Deggs' team had at the Sunbelt Conference tournament, uh, tournament in Montgomery, as well as preview the regional, 
is the man who's the longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Jay Walker joins us now. Jay, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? I'm uh, I'm just lovely. Well, I don't know about lovely. I looked in the mirror. I didn't throw up, though. That's good. <laughs> uh, first question, is South Beach ready for Jay Walker? Jay Walker's not going to South Beach because South Beach isn't ready for Jay Walker because what's going to happen if Jay Walker walks around on South Beach, people are going to point and scream and yell, free Willie. So, no, I ain't doing it. <laughs> oh, brother, come on now. Oh, all right, bud. Uh, look, I thought it was a tremendous run by Matt Deggs' team, not only to end the season after the JMU series loss where they sweep ULM, uh, then they sweep Texas State, and they play really well against Southern Miss. They put together a tremendous run at the conference tournament, beating Coastal Carolina not once but twice in one day. Give me your big takeaways on what you saw at the tournament and how Matt Diggs' team ended the season. You know, I, I think the James Madison series um, obviously was probably the low point of the season. But sometimes it's about what you take away from it. And I, and I think that this team got incredibly focused after that. Uh, and then they went, you know, 7-2 and two in the last nine games. And I thought it was going to take – six and three in order to uh, keep them in the top six. And they, they outdid that. The, the sweep over Texas State was very impressive. They played really well in Hattiesburg. They, they, you know, they didn't win the series, but that was a knockdown dragout series. You know, you go into a conference tournament as the four seed, and, and your path isn't easy. Because Texas State and Coastal Carolina are both there waiting for you. But I said before the tournament started, I really preferred that side of the bracket as compared to Southern Miss and Troy uh, and App State. Because I, those are teams that really gave the Cajuns some trouble this year. So I, I was okay with the draw. Uh, and, you know, the, oh, it's hard to beat a team four times. Not if you're better than them. Uh, and and the Cajuns were, uh, and, you know, Texas State, at the time the tournament started, I think was still being talked about as a potential at-large team. So, you know, the, the, the performance there, the four wins they had there were against very good competition, and because they were able to get four of them, uh, it, it propelled them, their RPI, good enough to get an at-large bid. Uh, Jay, what was it about – how they were able to execute on the field, whether it was the pitching or the timely hits, that really stood out to you, especially in those wins against Coastal Carolina on that Saturday. I, I thought the pitching in that uh, in those two games was tremendous. Of course, Blake Marshall led the way there, but you know, you you took a team like Coastal and you held them to five runs in two games. Very few teams do that to them. So no, it, I think the pitching and the defense. Um, you know, we don't talk about this defense enough, Ray. This is the best Cajun defense in the history of Cajun baseball. Think about that for a minute. Um, they, they're just, they run down balls in the outfield. They make the plays in the infield. They have great range. Um, and when you don't go out and make mistakes and help the other team beat you, well, then you're difficult to beat. I mean, you know, baseball can be a complicated game, but sometimes it's pretty easy. You know, if you don't go out and beat yourself, you have a chance to win. And and the Cajuns at no time during that tournament went out and beat themselves.
Well, Jay, I have to ask about the the somewhat, I like to call it the legendary performance of Blake Marshall against Coastal uh, on Saturday. Um, you know, a guy who had his ups and downs at the beginning of the year looked like maybe he was going to be a lockdown closer, but then had his struggles. Of course, he's, he's battled throughout the season. But what he did on Saturday is just something you don't see very often. Uh, what, what did you think of his performance? Legendary. Uh, isn't that the word you used? I, yeah. I'll go with it. Um, now, I, I don't think we, none of us have ever seen anything like it. You know, it, it's, it's one thing to go out and ask somebody to pitch twice in one day. It's another thing for them to go out and throw 147 pitches and shut out a top-10 team. I, I've never seen anything like it. Um, you know, I, I made the comment to somebody. I said, you know, uh, Blake's dad, Jimmy, of course, was there, and I saw him afterwards. And that was a beautiful Beautiful day and night for baseball. Okay, humidity was low, nice breeze, comfortable temperatures. I saw him afterwards, and and he was just, you know, he was just drenched in sweat, and that's what daddies go through when their kid is pitching. Um, but it was, it was just, uh, it was a tremendous performance. We may never see anything like that again. Well, now as you take a look forward and into the regional that they have ahead, you earn yourself the opportunity. It wasn't always a guarantee, but they get that at-large selection, and they head to Coral Gables. Um, but they have a pretty tall task in front of them, not too different from last year when you had to be in the same regional as TCU and A&M. You're with some heavy hitters, some of the all-time programs in college baseball in Miami and Texas. What are your thoughts about the, uh, the regional draw? Well, I you know, you bring up a good point because very similar to last year. Last year, the Cajuns had to play the regular season Big 12 champion uh, in the first round. Well, guess what? This year, they have to play the Big 12 regular season champion in the first round. Um, you know, this task looks daunting because of the names of the schools that are there. Um, you know, there's a um, if you if you run your hand over a baseball uniform, you know the where it says like Louisiana, if you if you rub your hand, that's called tackle twill. Okay, that that's what it's known as, and you can't get caught up in tackle twill in this in this tournament. If you do, you're not going to be there long. Um, you know, Texas and Miami are legendary college baseball programs. They're both very good teams. But I, but I just got to remind folks, the Cajuns this year beat LSU. They beat Coastal Carolina twice, and they defeated Southern Miss. Now, in my not-so-humble opinion, all three of those teams are better than Texas. So it's something that can be done. Now, Texas has got a couple of elite arms. They swing the bat very well. They're a very, very good team. But the Cajuns have played better and won this year. So, I, I while I don't think that means they're going to beat Texas, they're going to have to play great baseball in order to do it. Um, it it's not like it's not like this is an, a, an impossible task. I don't think it is. It'll be very difficult. But the Cajuns have gone up against teams as good or better and won this year. Well, from the Cajuns' perspective and the pitching staff that, again, for much of the season we had our questions about, and they pitched actually really, really well when it mattered, despite losing a lot of their top-end arms that they expected to have at the beginning of the season. Um, what, should we expect much of the same as far as Nezu, Fluno, and then piecing it together beyond that with a bunch of different guys like Marshall and Rawls? And do you think they can kind of keep up the level of success that they've had over the past month or so? 
Well, he hasn't announced it yet, but it's Nezu uh, and then Fluno and then Iserlo. That's that's the the, the three that <laughs> oh, we're going to okay. have. Um, the uh, no, it, it look um, Jackson and and Carson have gotten better every time they've gone out, and they're going to have to go out and be better this weekend than they were last weekend. They were pretty good last weekend. Um, you just you, you got to dance with the girl that you brought to the prom, and they had uh, they had a couple of folks who had to break dates. I mean, you've got you got three pitchers you were counting on that that are you don't have. I mean, they're out for the year, and so you have to just do what you can with what you got. And the, the thing that I like about this pitching staff is they all look at Deggs and Thibodeau and say, "Give me the ball. I'm ready to go." Um, and and that's the thing I really like about the staff. And as you can see, Jagger, Jagger and Ico like it too because they're they're voicing their pleasure. We're talking with Jay Walker, the longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cages. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. You know, you mentioned you know two of the big names uh, when you do a top five or top six programs of all time, Miami and Texas are obviously on that list when it comes to college baseball. But as you pointed out, Cajuns have faced off some tough competition and beaten that tough competition. And I said, look, this is a regional that they could win. It's not impossible here. What's going to be the big key for this team to be able to go down to Coral Gables and be able to pull off the surprise, and win the regional? You know, this is this is almost oversimplifying it, but the man coached here for 25 years, and he was proven time and time again to be absolutely correct. If you're going to get through this, you've got to pitch and play defense, and you've got to get timely hits. It's not going to be a matter how many hits you get. Against the pitching staff, you're going to see you may not go out and get 12, 13 hits. Just get the right ones at the right time. Um, but I, but it's going to it's going to start in the bump. Uh, you know, if, if Nezu and Fluno can go out and be the guys that they've been for the last, let's say, almost a month, and, and the Cajuns play the kind of defense they've played all year, they'll be in the game. Um, it's going to be a question, though, of getting timely hits, uh, against some very good pitching that they're going to see uh, down in um, down in Coral Gables. Now, one of the things about the pitching that they're going to see that's that's I think good, the Cajuns don't have a problem with velocity. Uh, they've been able to turn around 94, 95, 96 miles an hour, um, and so if they're going to face a lot of hard throwers, I think they're going to be able to get a certain amount of success. But they just got to do it at the right time, Ray. That's what it's all going to be about. It's going to be about timely hits. We'll wrap it up with this, brother. Back-to-back seasons now of getting to an NCAA regional. In both years, Matt Deggs was able to get his guys to rally late and put together some great runs to punch their tickets to a regional. It sure does feel like he is coming into his own as the skipper of the Cajuns these last couple years and how he gets his guys to buy in, and how he gets his guys to push themselves to bigger heights. Just how impressive is it to see the progress he's made as the skipper of the Cajuns when he first took over after Tony passed to right now? Well, you know, that, that, that first full season 
was not a happy season for Matt Deggs. Uh, he did not have a United clubhouse. He did not have the type of guys that he needed in order to have success. And I'm not talking about talent, okay? Um, but he, there were a lot of kids that left. He brought in the, the kind of, the kind of uh, young man and the kind of ball player uh, that he demands in order to be successful. And, uh, and they had success last year. Now, this was a veteran team this year as far as what he put on the field. And so he had great leadership this year. Uh, but, but I'll tell you, you know, I was around this team a lot this year, Ray, and, man, there's just something about these guys. They, they, they don't make excuses. They hold each other accountable. They have very high goals for themselves and each other. And they don't get away from that. And that's the kind of kid you got to have if you're going to play for Matt Diggs. Uh, he, I, I've said it many times. Matt Diggs is not an easy guy to play for. But he will be all over you. And at the same time, the next time he sees you, he's going to hug your neck. Because he loves these kids, but he demands a lot out of them. It's just who he is. But he's got the kind of guys that will go to him and say, down the stretch, we need you to push us harder. And as a matter of fact, it's exactly what they did. They went to Deg and said, you need to push us harder, and we'll take care of the rest. He did, they did, and uh, the Cajuns, man, the Cajuns got an at-large bid this year. That's another step forward for Matt Deggs and his program. Um they're not done. They, they want to get better. He's got to continue to go out and recruit the right guys that, that have the, uh, the right attitude plus the right talent because I don't think the goal of this program is to give him that large bit as a three seed. You know, the, the program has higher goals than that, but it's done in increments, and we just saw the team and the program take another step this year. Well said, brother. Well said. Bud, enjoy uh, being on the call this weekend down in Coral Gables. Enjoy yourself, and we'll talk to you next week, my friend. Oh, you might have to talk to you again? <laughs> yeah, yeah, just, hey, man, it all depends. If things go really well, you'll have to talk to me far longer than you want. I already have. <laughs> Thank you, Jay. Thanks, man. Appreciate you having me on. Go Cajuns. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer. But we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, how about those Pelicans? Huh? So, Christian Clark, who covers the Pelicans for the AdvocateAndNola.com, tweeted this out yesterday saying, the Pelicans plan to restructure their player care and performance team 
which is a nice way of saying right there, medical training staff. That's that's just a fancier big college word way of describing that. Sources say Aaron Nelson has been in charge of this department for the last four years, essentially since Griff took over. D'Lo, how, how do we feel about this? It feels like it's probably two years too late and probably should have made a change in this regard. But Well, they, they did when they brought in Aaron Nelson. So I don't look, I don't I don't blame him at all. I think, hey, this is a front office that's shown they're not afraid to make change and it's been tough to watch, but it's not something again, we get really result oriented. Like I just don't know if you can go medical staff equals injuries or medical staff equals non injuries. Now, the handling of it all and how much of that was on, you know, players, camps, players, players, legal yeah. advice, different, you know Yeah. PR. Like there's a lot of different moving pieces to it. But I, you can't fault him for saying, "Hey, things weren't great. We're going to make a change. We're going to shake things up." Maybe, and I don't, I don't think they're cleaning house the way they did a few years ago, um, which was applauded at the time, right? Like, if they keep making changes and things don't continue to not work out, I, I, I'm glad they're making changes. That's what I'll say. I don't disagree with that, but I just want to warn everyone because I think. We think in things, we think of things, we don't think it out. Like, a lot of the reaction to this news, D'Lo, was, oh, 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 right, oh, awesome, yeah, let's go. And the, the thought process is that the, the Pelicans won't be dealing with injuries. And that's just absolutely short-sighted because the situation with Zion and the situation with B.I., is the training and the medical staff part of what's happened there with the Pelicans? Absolutely. But sometimes players get injured no matter how well they've been trained, no matter how well their rehab goes. Sometimes they get injured and sometimes they get re-injured. And just because you change the staff does not mean that Zion Williamson is going to play a full season. Well, exactly, and that's why I think also that, that complicated wording, I think, makes sense. It, it means they're going to evaluate and try to make moves where they think moves are necessary. It doesn't mean they're going to go in and say, Zion got hurt, so you're fired. I think they're going to hopefully do their due diligence and have conversations. And look, maybe in some of these situations, it's not even a matter of what that person did right or wrong. It's just a matter of maybe they need new ideas in the, in the building. I I think it's a broad way to say it, so I don't want to make judgments on whether well, they're 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 getting a new head trainer or this or that. I think they're going to evaluate it, and they're not afraid to to be evaluative in those processes. And I think that's a positive step in the right direction of a basketball franchise that has much more emphasis on winning than it once did. Let's be honest; there were some times where they weren't focused too much well, on basketball. No, yeah. A lot of their history, they weren't. It could also be a fact here of right or wrong. There may be a level of distrust involving, say, Zion and some of the players with the medical team or the training staff, right? So to kind of appease the stars or try to maybe make things a little bit better in that regard, you shake things up here. And that's a way of showing your superstars, hey, we're trying to do whatever we take. Now, I'm also one of the people that says, the superstars have to be held accountable here as well. And with their rehab process, with everything else, and how they attack training and how they attack conditioning. Because we've heard multiple reports from David Griffin himself 
that he hasn't been too thrilled by the face of the franchise and his superstars conditioning and the way he handles his conditioning in the offseason. Well, I don't care who you have on your medical training staff. If the big fella doesn't buy in, it doesn't matter. It just doesn't. What you got over there, bud? You got something? Something? Something's got your got your interest. What's going on? Yeah, no, just uh, working on a little bit of something that we're going to hear about later in the week. But uh, with respect to that, no, I agree. And look, I actually heard C.J. McCollum um, on Ryan Russillo's podcast this week and kind of talking about his message to Zion as a leader and what what it takes. And that you know, Zion, uh, he's basically told Zion what it, what it takes, right, to make it in this league, and that his potential is limitless. That's kind of what he, you know, what I'm summarizing here, but he basically told Zion his potential's not the same as other guys. Like, in, in even in his own right, C.J. McCollum has a has a limit to his potential um, as a player, and he works his best to get to that. But Zion's is different than most guys, right? His potential's through the ceiling. But he's got to be able to recognize what it takes to get to that point. And he has to learn think, how to be a pro. And I think that's the hope, right? right. I think that's the hope. He's I wouldn't say he's running out of time to do so, but um, he's certainly made some, I'd say, mistakes that we could agree upon at this point. And um, you know, look, how much of the injuries are his fault or not? I don't, I don't think we can ever even really know that. But no, you're you're never going to know that because you're not behind the scenes, right? Right. So that that's part of it. I also believe being part of a pro, being a pro, which I think CJ was trying to is trying to encourage him to be, is not only about performing on the court, but it's also providing leadership and it's also how you prepare when you're not playing games how you prepare in the offseason you know we know the great ones the guys who are the pros pros the legendary players are the ones that are preparing all the time that are almost borderline obsessive about it we've heard the stories about Drew Brees all those years with the Saints and what he would do in his offseason, working out with Marines and working with his wide receivers when it wasn't even team activities, working on the playbook. You have to do that. Like, if you're going to be a legendary player, if you're going to live up to your potential, and I'm talking about Zion here, then you have to do everything in your power to put in the work. It takes work to be great. You can be given God-given ability, but it takes work to be legendary. That's the difference. And that's why you're legendary in the right of Sports Talk Radio. And that's why we have to get to a timeout. Oh, my goodness. Look at him with the little compliment in there towards the den. We're going to take a timeout. When we return, oh, how about one of the most well-regarded, well-respected thoroughbred horse trainers in our area? decades in the business he's going to be joining us we're going to talk about his career as well as louisiana legends night which is going to be this weekend at evangeline downs steve flint will be joining us live inside the evco development studios here in upper lafayette that's next right here on the game this is rp3 and company on the game 1037 lafayette and 1041 lake charles southwest louisiana's sports station your home for the lsu tigers and houston astros this is rp3 and company live from the evco development studios in upper lafayette on the game 1037 lafayette 1041 lake charles southwest louisiana's sports station
Oh, welcome back to RP3 and Company right here on the Game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. We've been talking a ton of baseball today, rightfully so. Major League Baseball season's in full effect as we wrap up the month of May. Of course, NCAA regionals begin this weekend in Baton Rouge, Coral Gables, and Tuscaloosa, the places that we're paying attention to. But you know what? It's a big weekend in the world of horse racing because Evangeline Downs Racetrack and Casino will host its annual Legends Night on Saturday. Post time is going to begin at 5.30. The day is going to be highlighted by the Horse of the Year and Champions Awards hosted by the Louisiana Thoroughbred Breeders Association in conjunction with the Racing Employees Assistant Program Benefit. You're going to have the ceremony in the afternoon at Mojo's, and then the races will begin at 5.30. It's also one of the best and biggest nights for horse racing here in the state of Louisiana. And to talk to us about it is a man who served as a trainer for three decades. He grew up in the business. He's competed in New York, Kentucky, California, Illinois, Canada, and of course, Louisiana. He's been a multiple graded stake winning trainer. Our guy, Steve Flint, better known as Salty Steve, joins us here inside the FCO Development Studios. Brother, good morning. How are you? Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Good. Let's, let's start off a little bit about your career and we'll get to the Louisiana Legends night which I know is, is always a big deal at Evangeline Downs over the years but let's talk a little bit about it you know you grew up in the business you learned the business from your father Bernard Flint just tell us a little bit about that when you first fell in love with horse racing and the business well I think as a young boy dad always had horses and we always helped with the chores uh, it seemed like it was something we could do, and it wasn't too strenuous for us because, you know, as kids, we set in the feet or could turn out the horses. And, and as we grew up, we got to do more and more things, and we became more involved, which our love deepened from that point. Now, you're originally from New Orleans, so I assume that you grew up around the fairgrounds down in New Orleans. Yes, we also raced here, though. In fact, we had dinner in your original building at our jails a long time ago when <laughs> we like were that. kids. I like that. So you grew up in the, did you always know, obviously your dad was in the business and you grew up around it, but that doesn't always mean that you're going to follow in those same footsteps, right? That's, that's not, doesn't, that doesn't always happen. So when did you make the decision that, Hey, this is something that I want to do and I want to do for a living? Well, in high school, I played baseball and I thought I was going to be first baseman for the Yankees. That would have been my dream job, but I hurt my knee. Uh, it kind of put me back into the horse business where I became deeply involved in it. And my love grew, and uh, it wanted to be something I could do my whole life. A lot of folks think they can be thoroughbred horse trainers. A lot of folks think they can own horses that are going to win the Kentucky Derby, right? <laughs> A lot of folks think that. How much work does it really take, for those that may not know, to be a successful trainer like you've been for three-plus decades? Well, it's seven days a week, 365 days a year. It's a constant grind. And you have to have a tremendous amount of luck to make it to a race like the Kentucky Derby, first of all. Uh, I worked for Hall of Famer Steve Asmussen. Uh, we've been close when I worked for him. We were second with Nero. In fact, he prepped at the old Evangeline Downs across the street. And uh, you get you get to where you think it's never going to happen. But if you put in the hard work, you know, and lightning strikes, hopefully you could win it. How early in the process when you're training a horse do you know, hey, this is a horse that maybe has some real potential? How early in the process, how young are they when you go, 
or uh, how early in the process when you're training them do you go, uh, we may have something special here? Well, it's it's like kids. If you see kids in the little leagues and they're doing fantastic, you figure they're going to progress to high school. Not all do. Horses, they develop from the age of two. We start breezing them, which is uh, like controlled workouts, almost like races. And you get to see glimpses, but you really find out what a horse is when they first turn three years old, when they turn that corner and they start developing more. How much does the relationship between yourself and the jockey matter? Because so many times we've seen it, and I've seen it behind the scenes, where there's a horse that's been trained and the potential's there and the belief is that they're going to be there. But if they don't have the right rider, a lot of times they underperform because that jockey's going to know how to push that horse exactly around what bend of the track, how they how they do when they're bunched up, how they do if they're on the rail. So how much how important is it for you as the trainer to have a good working relationship with the jockey that's going to race that horse? Well, it helps. Yeah. Jockeys have to have a feel for racing to begin with because when the gates open, it's not going according to plan all the time. So you have to have a top jock, and then he has to have confidence in the horse. But you have to have confidence in the jockey to put him on the horse to begin with. So it's kind of a give-and-take relationship. When you get to race day, what's that like for you? Because I know you'll be at Evangeline Downs and you'll probably have multiple horses racing on, on any given Saturday or Friday night or anything like that. So what's that like behind the scenes on actual race day? It's almost like being a football coach, you know, except for the pep talk. We prepare the horses. Uh, professional athletes get their legs taped. Horses get vet wrap, actually, so they keep their heels from burning. And uh, you're trying to keep them as calm and cool and collected as you can before the race. And make sure that everything's done properly and you just go over there and you pray. <laughs> you do the Hail Mary and you hope everything works out. Uh, we're talking with Steve Flynn. He is a multiple graded stake winning trainer. Uh, he's been in the business for more than three decades as a thoroughbred horse trainer. He's here to talk about, of course, Evangeline Downs annual Legends Night, Louisiana Legends Night, which will be this weekend. He joins us here on RP3 and Company live inside the Evco Development Studios. All right, I got to ask you this: What's your Mount Rushmore of Cajun jockeys? Eddie Delahousie goes first. He's uh, he's probably the best Cajun rider I ever saw. Then I got a lot of friends in the business. I don't want to. I'll put you, I, I'll put you on the spot, but also credit okay. our guy Ralph because right. he's the one that said, well, Ralph, hey, when you get Steve come in, ask right. him about the Mount Rushmore Cajun jockeys. Uh, Race of Bill definitely has to go on there. He's won over 6,000 races. Uh, my good friend Gerard Melanson, I think he's as good as anybody, and he's still competing at Evangeline Downs if you ever get a chance to go out and see him. And I would say fourth, uh, Robbie Alvarado. Those are all jocks that have won over 5,000 races, and they're all Hall of Fame worthy. Calvin Burrell? Good guy. He didn't make my list. Uh, <laughs> I, I, we had some ins and outs over the years. And he's won races for me over the years. Won three derbies. Uh, very impressive. Yeah. Like It's like football coaches. You can't put them all on the Mount Rushmore. He's quite the character, too. Great guy. Yeah, Calvin, Great guy. Calvin is uh, – Calvin can be a bit uh, a bit of a trip. All right, let's uh, turn our attention. Uh, something that you're passionate about and I've actually witnessed before over the years, and of course it's Legends Night at Evangeline Downs this coming weekend. 
And uh, for those who may not be aware of it, have never experienced it, what does it truly encompass and why is it, why is it so special? Okay, well, Legends Night's part of a four-track series. Uh, they take the best horses of each class, and they all compete in their own divisions. We have one night called Legends Night at Evangeline Downs. Then the next day, next uh, two months later, it's Cup Day at Louisiana Downs. Almost the same kind of races. Everybody competes in their own division. Then they have Delta Downs in February. They have Premier Night. Uh, I skipped one, sorry. Fairgrounds has Champions Day in December. Right. And, uh, and the breeders set it up so they can showcase their best horses at each track on certain specified days and bring out the people to see just what we have to offer in the business. You have two horses that are going to be competing in le- uh, on Legends Night this weekend, Cajun Karma and Louisiana Liberty, correct? Yes. So tell us a little bit about those two horses. Well, Cajun Karma is running in the Cheval, and he's a, he's an up-and-coming horse, little inexperienced. He won his last time out in a very fast time. Uh, we've been second and third in a few stake races, so we think he deserves a shot. I'm pretty... I'm pretty high on him going into the race. I don't like the post position draw the inside hole, so we're going to have to change our strategy a little bit according to how the race falls. But he's going to be very competitive. And what about your um, the other one, Louisiana Liberty? <laughs> That's Ralph's favorite horse. <laughs> I'm sure he's listening with bated, you know, he's waiting with bated breath to hear this. Uh, we tried to change her running style in the last stake, and we kept her a little closer. And I think that's on my part. It was a mistake. She ran third. She ran an incredible race. Her style is more coming from way out of it. She's the one to get your heart beating when she hits the wire. Uh, the extra distance is going to help her, uh, the mile distance. And she's training terrific coming into the race. I'm very high on her. How much of being a successful trainer in this business depends on your ability to adapt after you get the the positions done and everything like that because you just mentioned it hey you know you're not you're not thrilled about where the horse is going to begin the race so you have to make that adjustment how how daunting is that to be able to do so and how key is that for being a successful trainer and in this business to be able to adapt on the fly well, you have to set up a strategy according to the post draw, and then you get the past performances. Actually, you have to figure out the pace. If it's a fast pace or slow pace, that, that alters your instructions. But mostly it's how your horse comes into a race. If your horse comes into a race that well-prepared as it can be and it's in top physical shape, they have to worry about you more than you have to worry about the race. I like that. We're wrapping up our conversation with Steve Flint, longtime thoroughbred horse trainer here locally, originally from New Orleans, gearing up for, of course, Legends Night, which will be this Saturday at Evangeline Downs Racetrack and Casino, right down the road there in Opelousas. Give you a two-part question here. <laughs> Best horse you ever trained and the fastest horse you ever trained, and that's not necessarily the same – Not doesn't necessarily have to be the same horse. Well – as an assistant, the best horse I was ever around was Curlin for Steve Asmussen. He was two-time horse of the year, so obviously. The best horse I ever trained personally is a toss-up between a horse called Out of the Box, who was second in the Florida Derby, to Monarcos, who eventually won the Kentucky Derby, and he won the Super Derby, obviously, at Louisiana Downs. And probably a filly called All-American Birdie, who won nine out of 
11 starts. She was cut out to be a phenomenal horse, and the injury cut her career short, but phenomenal every time she ran. What's your favorite moment as a trainer? <sighs> My favorite moment as a trainer. It was in a loss, tell you the honest to God's truth. All right. We had just, we had just won the previous stake the way of, with a horse called May Gator at Saratoga. And the next day, there's a big filly race called the Alabama. And it's a grade one at Saratoga. And we had to lead every jump at the last race. But it was the most proud I'd ever been of a horse. And that was also All-American Birdie. So. You love this. You grew up in this. You were taught the business by your dad. You've been doing it for a long time. 30 years as a trainer, 10 years as an assistant. You've been spending decades at this. What makes you wake up every morning and get ready? You wake up early because you listen to the show. Absolutely. But what makes you wake up early every morning and go back out there? What what What's the driving force for you to keep continue to do this? The promise of the next big horse. It's uh, I can't imagine being Nick Saban. Could you imagine waking up and you got 15 five-star recruits that you have to go face? Every year, a horse trainer gets a certain allotment of babies, two-year-olds that we call babies. I've got 12 this year and some really nice horses who've had some really good works. Knowing that you have that in your backyard makes you feel a little better, and it's easier when that alarm goes off at 430. Once again, Evangeline Downs Racetrack and Casino is going to host its Legends Night this Saturday. Post time is going to be at 530. It's a great event if you have the opportunity to go check it out. Thank you for sharing your story, giving your insight. Salty Steve making his debut on the show and did so in person. Steve Flint, thank you, brother. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. We got to take a time out. We'll wrap up today's RP3 and Company next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. The Game, 1037 Lafayette. Louisiana's Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station over watching a mandated webinar at work. Well, thank you, everyone, for coming to this exciting meeting today to discuss... Take that, productivity in the workplace. This is The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Shout out to our guy, Salty Steve, for coming through. That was great, man. That was great. Originally from New Orleans, grew up in the business, gave us some great insight there on his favorite horses, Louisiana Legends Night as well. Ralph tried to call in with a question. Sorry, Ralph. But we did we did talk about you, as you know, because you were listening. <laughs> Ralph's good people, man. Ralph's good people. Uh, man, it was good stuff, though, and it is a cool event. If you've never been... I have. If you've never been to Legends Night at Evangeline Downs, it, it is uh, tremendous because you get to see some great horses, some great jockeys. And it just just imagine, you know, when I asked Salty Steve, you know, he said every year there's new horses. To I thought train. that was a great question, yeah. too. That It's like, I mean, you can you can imagine it, too, watching these horses yeah. grow up, right? And, you know, you get to know them and you start to see them run and, and you're like, well, maybe this one's got a chance. It's got to be got to be something cool to see. Let's get to some 
comments on our poll question of the day before we wrap up today's show. What's your favorite ballpark concession food? 56% of you say hot dog. 31% say nachos. Big, strong push for nachos. 11% say other. 2% for pretzels. Mr. Green says, love nachos. I ain't going to eat no one else's, though, especially if (laughs) there's a Band-Aid in there. And that goes back to my trip to the Rangers game where the young lady who was had too many adult beverages in front of me ate nachos that had a Band-Aid in it. So we'll go there. Hart says, if they start selling Dawson's crawfish boiled hot dogs in any park, they'd be sold out all the time. All the time, says Hart. He's not wrong. Ton says, not sure what I expected, but that is not the voice I expected Salty Steve to have. I don't know. I expected a gruffer voice, I guess. Well done, sir. I really enjoyed the interview. See? People love Salty Steve. Houdat Forever says, nachos and hot dogs are the best, but pretzels are definitely the most versatile. Ooh, to your point, D-Lo. They can be altered to either be a snack, appetizer, a whole meal, or dessert. Look, I'll be honest. You gave the final results. I threw I threw pretzels a sympathy vote there. I did. <laughs> and, I, and I don't, and I don't, I don't mean, I don't not think that's true i really like pretzels i do i do love a good soft pretzel i want to take a moment to thank our guest ron higgins from tiger details helping us preview the baton rouge regional jay walker longtime voice of the raging cajuns helping us talk about the coral gables regional and then steve flint longtime thoroughbred horse trainer helping us preview louisiana legends night this weekend at evangeline downs that's going to do it for today's show it was tremendous we'll be back on tomorrow six to nine the producer extraordinaire dawson eiserlow I'm Raymond Parsa there, better known as RP3. Until then, be safe out there, be kind to one another. Kevin Foote and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game.